You're listening to an irreverent podcast. For more unholy content from our friends, head to irreverent.fm. Hey friends, welcome to the Speaking in Church podcast. I'm Josie and I'm joined by my new friend, Sierra Jackson. Sierra, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Josie. I'm really excited to be here. Tell the folks, okay, so I already forgot exactly what you said because your title is so long, but it sounds so cool. Let's introduce yourself. What is your, yeah. what, do you, what is your thing right now? So um, I currently am attending, or I'm in, in the master's program for industrial and organizational psychology um, at Seattle Pacific University. So I currently live up here in Seattle. Um, I am a Pacific Northwest native, though, so I lived in Idaho, Washington, and Oregon. Um, so I, I claim that as kind of my claim to fame is being a PNW native instead of a yeah. Transplant. That's where all the serial killers are from. That is well, not all of them, but <laughs> there's a large there's a large portion of them up here. Um, but yeah, I uh, um, I really like how Adam Grant. He's an organizational psychologist. He says that he's an organizational psychology because he wants to look at how do we make work not suck. And I'm like, yes, yeah, Amen. that's what I want to do. Um, so my most recent position, I was what was called a culture of care coach um, in Central Oregon. And um, worked under a mission where we were implementing practices and systems that were more responsive, restorative, and equitable um, so that we could basically try to create spaces of well-being not only for the students but for the staff as well. So that, um, along with a few other things, kind of kicked off me wanting to pursue um, special specifically the organizational side of organizational psychology. So it's fun because I feel like I really am in alignment with uh, just who I am. Um, and Seattle's been a fun place for my partner and I. Um, so yeah, it's a little bit about my background. I'm a former youth pastor. I was a youth pastor for a couple of years. Oh my God. Um, Okay, this is a great segue into me asking you to tell, sorry friends, by the way, if I sound funny, it's because I'm a little bit sicky, but anyways, mind your business. Um, <laughs> tell the friends your life story, your testimony, how you got to where you are today on this well, podcast. I haven't done the testimony thing in forever. Um, so I grew, I guess I kind of grew up in the church. Um, my family didn't start going to church so I was like in fourth or fifth grade. Um, and that's about the time when you're entering your awkward pre-adolescent phase. My so favorite in age. that, it was, oh my God, I loved being a middle schooler. It was the, my favorite time of life. Amen. <laughs> um, but I um, grew up um, going through the I Kiss Dating Goodbye movement, True Love Waits, went to the Aquinas Fire rallies, like did all the things, right? Like it just, it was an exciting time in my life. <laughs> um, but uh, I was primarily in a non-denominational setting. So like an evangelical setting. And then when I was in high school, we moved to another community and shifted to more of a Pentecostal space. So a lot of speaking in tongues, a lot of dancing, which I wasn't used to. And I'm like, what is going on? Um, so yeah, I went to University of Idaho 
and got some grief for that because it's a liberal university and it's not a Bible college. It's and, liberal in Idaho. Wow. Love to hear it. You know, <laughs> you know, a whole other conversation. Um, but uh, yeah. And then just like kind of found my way into the space again. I was a youth pastor for two years. I've done mentoring and volunteering in youth ministry for over 10 years. Um, so, but 2016 for me, like there were some times, there were a couple times where I was like, I don't feel like I'm really jiving with the way that things are going in the church right now. <laughs> um, and I mean, 2016 was the straw that broke the camel's back for me. Mm-hmm. Um, because from my understanding of who the Christ was and folks supporting an individual who is so contrary to who the Christ is and doesn't embody any of like his practices. I'm just like, I I don't belong here anymore. This is not the space I'm supposed to be in anymore. So, I mean, that along with marrying someone who's an agnostic, that was a, that was a fun thing. How so, dare you? Um, Unequally yoked. Know, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh my God. Yeah, I got that a lot. Um, so yeah, I've just been kind of, I definitely went through like, I went through a deconstruction of sorts. And within the last couple months, actually, I've started being like, okay, there's some things that I want to kind of piece back together. Um, I mean, uh, I have um, indigenous heritage that I'm connected to and stuff. So a lot of it has gone along with the decolonization process when it comes to my spirituality. And now that's something that I'm exploring within organizational development as well. Um, and then just like reconnecting with my family and looking at how just really fucked up the white colonized church is. And um, yeah, and how much it's messed a lot of folks up. <laughs> I mean, it messed me up pretty good. So <laughs> I feel that. I feel that. I'm making up for lost time right now. So <laughs> I feel you. Um, so today we are <laughs> talking about my favorite topic of the moment, which is grief slash big oh, yeah. feelings and how hopefully unprepared we all are to process said feelings um, because of the church, which is crazy considering the fact that Christianity tends to be all about like death and dying (laughs) in hell, which is like a big feeling, right? Like that's scary. Hell is kind of scary. Yes. Yes. No. Yeah. It's, um, so grief wasn't really a topic that became really important to me until the pandemic. Like, I feel like the pandemic, I think in the original sense of the word was apocalyptic. Um, in the sense that truly it was pulling back a veil and it is showing things and exposing things for how they really are. And one of the things that I noticed was, I mean, as at the sociocultural level, we don't do well. We don't give space for grief. Mm. Like say if somebody dies, we are just like, okay, well, we'll have the funeral and then move on. And that's just been, I mean, that's anecdotal. That's been what I've seen in my experience with my experience with like seeing individuals who've walked through maybe a relative passing away or even my own relative passing away. Like the thing is, okay, well, um, I'm sorry, here's some flowers, go to the funeral and then be back at work kind of a thing. I don't feel like there's like space or ritual given for grief. And I feel like a lot of us um, are 
are still like a lot of us either have repressed, like suppressed it um, out of survival. Um, or you think even just like different types of grief, like there's like an ambiguous almost form of grief when it's like, well, I haven't had anybody near me die, but like I've lost something um, or something's been taken from me or even like thinking about if we want to talk about even just like historical trauma, like thinking about like what's happened to our ancestors or to our relatives, like there is a grief that we hold there and we're not given the tools or the spaces to really process through it, um, especially which within the church, which is supposed to be a sanctuary. Like mm. it is supposed to be the safe space. And I love Brene Brown's term, like her terminology of this, of it being a brave space for us to walk through like grief and anguish. I mean, the shortest the shortest scripture is Jesus wept. Like we literally have examples of, of processing big emotions. And yet we're so uncomfortable in it within, especially like church spaces. Like we go in with our happy face. And then if you have, like, if you express any sort of grief, there's like a threat to your belonging in that space. Mm -hmm. still. So it's, um, I have a friend, like, it was funny because I reached out to you and I saw your prompting of a friend who went through a divorce and she left the church after going through the divorce because the people who gave her that space to process her grief of her divorce, um, the, those people were not in the church. And the people in the church were like, oh, we're sorry, kind of a thing. And not, there wasn't that community and that connection aspect, mm. which I think is crucial when we're, I think that grief is supposed to be a communal process. So, yeah, that's just been something I've been mulling around on lately. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, gosh, I totally agree. I remember my first instance of like deep grief was when I left my parents' house and went to college. And <laughs> I remember reading. Uh, this is actually kind of stupid that this book changed my life, but it did, and I no regrets. But A Grief Observed by C.S. Lewis changed my life after I was grieving the loss of this childhood that was deeply traumatic, and then going to a space where not only was I finding people that loved and accepted me exactly as I was when that was not necessarily my reality beforehand, but that the relationships that I had left were like, never gonna be mended in the way that i mm -hmm. wanted them to you know like you were grieving this idea and this hope and this like familiarity because you had the best that you could possibly ever have and i still mm -hmm. have these relationships to this day so i mean it's all great but it's like crazy that we think that grieving is only one for dying right like so many people have to grieve like when they come out of like, say you come out of an abusive relationship, like, yeah, you're, uh, objectively, you're in a much better space, but you still loved that person and you still had a relationship and you still had a family. You still have to grieve that loss or like divorce is like a, I had a friend who went through divorce and I remember her like trying to minimize her feelings of grief. And I was like, bruh, like I would rather my partner die than leave me like that's just like my re like that's how I feel like yeah. if my partner were to leave me I would prefer that they were dead like that grief would have I can't even imagine like 
but we don't leave room for that grief of divorce or for childhood or for whatever 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 because why because we're not dead like that's not at all how grief works right 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 yeah well and even with like a lot of us who've walked through um the process of deconstruction or have walked away from church spaces it have been abusive um i feel like there's a ton of us who are needing space and time to grieve that Mm. because it was like i will say there are some framings that my that my spiritual upbringing I'm thankful for. Um, one of those is like, I was talking to a friend about this the other day about like staying soft, like, like resisting, like caving to despair and caving Mm -hmm. to like hopelessness and hardening yourself as a result and becoming increasingly cynical. Um, and I feel like, um, because like I, I found, like I came across the Christ within church spaces. Like I have that framework to be like, how do I stay soft? Like, how did he stay soft? And so I, um, I just feel like, I feel like there's like this really complex thing where it's like, it's okay for you to miss pieces of it, but also like, we need some sort of a way to get it out of our bodies Mm. and to process it. Um, I just, yeah, it's, it's wild. So, yeah. And I mean, a lot of it too, is that the church doesn't teach you to grieve because they don't want you to leave. Right. Um, but they also don't want to accept that they don't know what they're doing. Like I work at a church currently and granted it's a deconstructed space. It's highly progressive. So it's very different. But back in May, when I lost, uh, my best friend that I was taking care of, I remember, (laughs) god bless them i mean i'm the only other employee besides the worship leader and the pastor so i i do quite a lot so i get it but two weeks out and they're like i'm so sorry but when are you coming back we're falling apart and i was like okay Mm -hmm, i guess mm -hmm. i'm back at work like i'm not okay and to this day i mean it's been six months and i'm still falling apart daily for sure and it's like okay great like and a normal job, you would expect that. But when you work at a church, you're kind of like, can I just have five more minutes, mom, please? Like, I just need right. to chill. But I mean, again, like, yeah, we're a deconstructive space, but we were all still never taught how to deal with grief in the church. Right. And I have this friend at this church. She's actually like a grief specialist. Like she, after she lost her dad, she did a deep dive and she's like an intellectual and an academic and God bless her. Darcy, I love you so much. But she immediately was like, we're going out. We're getting a beer and we're just going to sit down and fucking talk about this. Because that's all somebody needs, right? Is to just vent and talk about the feelings in all honesty. And another one of my friends at this church, and this is what a deconstructed space leaves room for, right? Like the difficult conversations. One of my friends had lost his mother to cancer and he was like, you're not going to be okay. I don't care what anybody says. You're not going to be okay for a long time and that's fine and you cannot be okay and I remember feeling so selfish because I was like not wanting to do anything and there's this inherent laziness that comes with grief and he's like don't I was trying to be productive in like the week after her death and he's like nope you <laughs> sit there and let people do everything for you and yeah. but I mean who in an evangelical church is gonna tell you yeah sit your ass down and don't do shit like 
they want you to be baking or cooking or hosting like after somebody's funeral like at somebody's funeral that's just like the culture right it's like insane yeah i've seen some churches that have done like meal trains and stuff like that but when it comes to actual like people getting together and sitting with you in the midst of your grief Mm -hmm. which a lot of times is just like what we really need is just like please just come sit with me be with Mm -hmm. me i don't need to be fixed i don't need solutions i just need you to be here in the midst of this really really intense emotion i'm experiencing um and I think, I really think that's something that we can do better. And just like circling back to what you were talking about with like the, um, your, your coworkers being like, so when are you coming back? I'm kind of falling apart. <laughs> I think that that's something like within my, uh, with what I'm studying right now, something that, I mean, when you consider like the organizational structure, like we don't, we don't have um, systems and processes in place so that people can take time. Like there's a little bit of bereavement leave, but we don't have like the individuals like in place to like take up um, that additional workload when you're mm. gone from bereavement leave. Um, and I think just like being able to, and also just like having a culture that respects that because there are some work environments where you will feel pressure to come back. Um, not necessarily because it's explicitly spoken, but it's an implicit message that lies within the work Mm -hmm. culture in general. Um, so I just, I feel like there, I do think that there's a lot of folks who are recognizing this, especially like folks our age. Um, and we are working to create like tools and build those skills to process grief. Um, but it's, it's been, I feel like it's been a long time coming. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, even I um, went ahead and I've been avoiding the book, A Grief Observed by mm-hmm. C.S. Lewis for six months. <laughs> and actually last night, I don't know what like possessed me, probably like the anticipation of this conversation that I was like subconscious of, but um, I picked up the book and it's teeny tiny. It's like 70 mm-hmm. pages and it's an easy read. Um. And I start reading, I got halfway through last night, and I'm just like sitting alone in my living room, just sobbing through every fucking sentence, because everyone is just like, mm, hit, hit. And what I remembered about this book um, was that in the church, we're not honest about how angry we are with the divine. Absolutely. No, I, because it, that's really uncomfortable and scary. You're not supposed to say that about God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I mean, CS was just a great job of saying like, if like God is making me suffer, so God has to be a masochist or a sadist and da, 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 da. And then he's like, but that's not, that's just like me being in the, like it goes back and forth and back and forth. And I think that honesty was so refreshing because that, I mean, I don't have any, I believe in chaos. I'm not really mad at God. I'm more of just mm-hmm. like mad at everything. But mm-hmm. it's interesting because I know that if anybody in the evangelical church were to read C.S. Lewis's book honestly and wrestle with those feelings honestly, they would cancel the hell out of that book. Like they would say, you should never doubt God, even in your grief. You should never say that God is mean to you or whatever. But that like goes into this whole idea of big feelings, right? We're not allowed to have big feelings, especially Um, towards God. Yeah, well, and I mean, God, there's so many thoughts going through my head right now. I have a lot of things. 
I, I think I'll just start with kind of like, um, like we say a lot, well, not we, we're told a lot of times when we're within church spaces um, that it's okay for you to doubt as long as you come back and make sure that whatever answers you come up with are aligned with our belief mm-hmm. systems too, which I can understand, like say if you have a people group and stuff and you need to make sure that people are safe, but that's not that's not what this is for. Like there is safety in doubting, like the doubting, doubting and faith, like are really interwoven together. Like Mm -hmm. they work together. And um, I feel like we're really shooting ourselves. The church is really shooting itself in the foot when it is not um, allowing that space for doubt and generally that space for grief, because with grief, there's a lot of like additional emotions that come up with it too. Like that anger, there's fury, there's rage. I mean, a lot of women right now are experiencing like fury and rage as a result of like some form of grief that we have experienced, be it like Masa Amini and what happened to her and what's going on with all of the women in Iran, um, with Roe v. Wade, with like, there's so many things that we are grieving right now. And, and that's almost being channeled into like this, what do I want to, I feel like we're like channeling it into like, not this productive rage, because that's really like, that's capitalist language. I'm not here for that. <laughs> it's it's just this like. Well, we're working it, it towards needs, our liberation, right? Like it's propelling exactly us towards. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and I feel like that is that's the inertia we need to keep us moving forward. Sometimes I feel like grief can be that catalyst mm-hmm. in conjunction with like anguish and rage and fury. So, um, no, I think that when it comes to being a really whole body i am not not giving space for grieving the church is kind of shooting itself in the foot for what i think it was originally supposed to be for and we're seeing but we're still seeing that done in spaces that are not like organized religious spaces Mm -hmm. um which i'm thankful for because i've had those people around me like I in the Burning Man community who have like <gasps> given me that space. So you do not go to Burning Man. I haven't been to the Big Burn yet, but I've been to a lot. Not a lot. I've been to a local thing, and I'm now like in the community, and they're like my people. I love them so, so much. I'm so <laughs> mad. I want to go. I want to go to Burning Man so hey, bad. Josie, look up. The, see, I know that California does a couple of like like statewide or state events and stuff and you should look into that because it's a beautiful community and that's i guess a plug (laughs) i really oh my gosh i was just talking about this with my partner the other day and he's an eagle scout so burning man i mean he would do fine in and he's like josie you're a little bitch you wouldn't i mean he didn't talk to me like that but (laughs) but he's like you're a little bitch like you wouldn't be able to survive and i was like listen okay i understand i can do the bartering i can do the nakiness i can do the orgies i can do all of the scandals right um but yes i will need an rv with electricity and air conditioning and heating or whatever at the end of the night for me to come back to and take a little shower and blah 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 blah. yeah Mm -hmm. i'm gonna be a bougie bitch at night but during the day i'm gonna be all in the sand okay (laughs) (laughs) i love it yeah it um it definitely changed um my i don't know it was it was a beautiful shift in when it comes to my perception of community and yeah. what community is like like it's really beautiful and it's not 
it's not a festival. Like it is, it is a community and I love the pillars that it's built on. And I think that's one of the spaces that allows us, like allows you a couple of spaces to be able, like if you do have grief, you've been processing mm-hmm. like, and you need some catharsis, there's opportunities for you to pursue that catharsis you need to process that out of yeah. your body. So, Yeah. And that's, that's actually a good good thing that we brought this up because i feel like at the church we don't have any outlet like you're just supposed to sit in the church and you can tear up because it's cute and holy or whatever 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 but god forbid you're angry god forbid you need to let out a primal scream or you Mm -hmm. need to sob like nobody's business you need Mm -hmm. to like you lose your partner and you just need to go on a wild escapade just because I, I mean, I can, I know the impulse, like, you're just like, that primitiveness of like life, like you just need it. And all of those things are judged, right? We yeah, don't have totally. any catharsis. We don't have, I mean, like, even a sound bath that'll make you weep. We don't have ayahuasca that'll confront your fears or. It's too new agey and it's yeah. up the devil. <laughs> uh, so yeah, let me tell you, not even allowed to do yoga in my parents' eyes because, you know, can't open my mind up because you never know what's going to crawl in. That's exactly right. Oh my God. Just, I feel like we just became friends. We are friends. My dad just said that to me the other day too. And I was like, dad, I always tell this story because my dad, like when I was a kid, they tell you like, if you're a real Christian, nothing can touch you, right? Like if you really believe in Jesus, you can't, like uh-huh. nothing can touch you. And I was like, okay, great. I'm good. I don't got to be scared of nothing. That's exactly right. But they're like, you never know what's going to crawl in there. And I was like, I thought I wasn't supposed to be worried about that. Like, nothing can yeah. touch me, right? <laughs> nothing can separate me from him. So what are we worried about? I know. Oh, my gosh. It's so annoying. Yeah. No, my mom for a little while was was like that. And I'm like, mom, listen, okay, um, let's talk about this. And she and I had a whole discussion. And now, like, literally the other day, I just finished my first quarter of grad school. And she's just like, well, make sure that you, are you going to make some time to meditate? You're going to make some time to do your yoga and stuff. And I'm like, that means a lot. And I really appreciate that. That's right, mom. (laughs) That's right. But yeah, it's, um, I remember when it comes to like big emotions, especially uncomfortable, uncomfortable emotions. And I think uncomfortable emotions can look different between like, when it comes to different genders. Um, Within the church, We'll stick to men and women because that's what they're going to address. Mm-hmm. But I feel like with women, women being angry, I feel like is more uncomfortable than men being angry. Because when men get angry, it's like righteous anger. They're like, I want to get stuff done. And with women, it's like, you're an inconvenience right now. Mm. Um, and I remember, I remember when I went through a breakup in college and like, I was just like, I need some way to physically get this out of my body. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was right after like my ex and I had um, like lit, like split it off. We we're just like, okay, this is just done. Um, and I grabbed, I wasn't drinking at the time. So I grabbed some Jones soda. And then I went into the woods and grabbed a bag of apples. And I threw these apples as hard as I could at the trees because I was just like, yeah. I just need to get this out. And I was also like, I also need to be like responsible. So I'm bringing something biodegradable. Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh, my hippie heart. That is so funny. Uh, 
Yeah, I was just like, I need to get this out of my body. And I went and talked to my mom about it. And she's like, oh, you need to be really careful with your anger. I'm like, what do you mean? And she's just like, well, I mean, if you are using, like, if you get, it, it has something to do with, like, physically expressing your anger could be dangerous because it could lead to you becoming, I don't know, chaotic, abusive. I don't know what exactly, but, like, when it comes to physically processing anger, especially with women, it's a huge no-no. Um, yeah and honest this is like a funny topic because I tell my my therapist my newer therapist she we do couples therapy but it's like individual therapy together and couples therapy and she's like why are you so scared of being angry because I say I try to really control my anger and because when I was a kid I was violently angry and with good reason mm -hmm. looking back now I mean I was being abused so I mean I was responding to the violence so you know it's reasonable but I am evil when I'm angry and I know that in my head and because I like I was really good little trick where I know somebody's insecurity immediately upon meeting them. I know how to break you into the little dust, um, which is not that hard because there's like four things that people are insecure about. But... That's exactly right. Yes. <laughs> um, so I try to control my anger because. Uh, anger is my natural emotion like most people have a natural emotion of sadness and mine is anger um and it can be very violent it's not very righteous and i'm trying to like you know adjust my relationship with my anger so my therapist is like it's okay for you to be angry it's okay and i was like i think it's okay for ryan to be angry because this asshole is a teddy bear and he's gonna get angry and yell and it's gonna be cute but i'm gonna burn shit down like and so i understand where your mom is coming from but also on the other hand, sometimes you got to burn shit down. <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah. And I think just like in the context of who I am, like I, when I was little there, I definitely had a temper when I was little, I was very verbal and I like to yell. I can, I can think of at least two or three memories in which I did um, yell things that were not nice at people. <laughs> um, but because it has been ingrained into me, like, being being nice leads to other people liking you and being a recovering mm. people pleaser, like coming out of like, I found, first of all, there's a huge difference between being nice and being kind. Mm -hmm. um, and also like learning, this is something that it, within my partnership, like where he tells me all the time, he's like, I want you to push back. I want you to push back on me. I'm like, but that's a really scary thing for me to do because I'm risking connection. Hard Enneagram 9 here, by the way. Oh, my God. Um, I knew it. Ah! I'm an 8. So, you know, I love okay. conflict. <laughs> I'm, married, I'm married to an 8. So that's right. Thanks <laughs> to be here. Let me tell you. I'm, yeah, just like all that time having that implicit messaging of like, it is not safe for you to share your scary emotions like your anger your grief your sadness even like there's a I feel like there's a specific type of sadness or even just like glee just like being over the top mm -hmm. excited like anything that is disruptive to like the climate around you I feel like that I was it was communicated to me I need to keep that tucked away because it threatens relationships around me yeah um so with him, he's like, I want you to push back. And I'm like, I don't know how. <laughs> and um, even with like, when it comes to like grieving, I think with men, like 
expressing grief is something that is taboo within the construct of toxic masculinity Mm -hmm. so um I think it like it impacts us like when it comes to I mean just like connecting with ourselves connecting with our significant other or others depending like what kind of a relationship dynamic you have um and even like when it comes to engaging with like the earth or engaging with um society as a whole so yeah it's um it, it hits everything when we mm. don't process it. Um, so, yeah. And here's the thing that people forget. Um, everybody should read The Body Keeps the Score. But if you don't oh God, express yes. your emotions, if you don't express what you're thinking or feeling, or like my parents get mad at me when I'm in like deep pain. And I have a lot of pain. I have chronic pain. So when I'm in a lot of pain, I curse. And they're like, why are you cursing? Like, well, they don't like that I say bad words anyways. But they're like, why are you saying bad words at the doctor's office right now? This is rude. And I was like, well, first of all, studies show that, (laughs) you know, it helps alleviate pain and other stuff. But it's the same thing with, like, expressing your anger or resolving conflicts sooner rather than later and not letting it fester inside you or expressing glee and not holding it in and, like, tensing your body because your body will turn on you. And that's exactly what happened to me right like I held in all these emotions growing up and granted it helped me survive so no regrets but now I have fibromyalgia I have chronic pain because of all of this pent-up feelings and now I make no apologies for when I'm extremely ecstatic and my mom gets embarrassed because I'm like yelling and screaming like Woo! or when I'm angry and I'm like not concerned with other people listening to my eloquent arguments in the other booth at the restaurant because I mean, obviously don't be an asshole, but you have to express your feelings. You have to feel your feelings. You have to go through these like emotions because otherwise you're really going to get fucked up. I mean, I don't really know if I believe that our feelings cause cancer or our traumas cause certain cancers. Not really, but I mean, it kind of makes sense, you know, that your body would respond to feelings, you know, just cause I mean, how many yeah. of us have gut issues because we're just stressed? Absolutely. No, absolutely. Well, anything, even with myself, I was in therapy for about a year when we were in Central Oregon. And um, like it was so helpful for me to get back in my body. Um, again, that's another thing, like within structured religious spaces, Amen. especially as women, we're told to like disassociate and disconnect ourselves from our bodies because our bodies like Mm -hmm. the heart is wicked like a thick above all else and all this stuff um being able to reconnect with my body was huge for me in therapy and and just also knowing that like your body your body is constantly sending you information like um where I hold a lot of or have held a lot of my stress and a lot of my grief go ahead (laughs) is in like between my shoulders and then in my hips Mm. like I'm constantly doing hip work Mm. um to get my hips to open more and stuff and be able to like move better but just recognizing that like oh like getting like recognizing what's happening with your body where it's sitting in your body like that tells you there's specific messages that are that your body's trying to tell you right then and there 
And I mean, I know this is like out of left field, but I think a space that's really good for that is kink spaces. Um, yeah. Because, because you are given opportunities, like there are specific kink spaces where you are given opportunities to be like, this is what I, I just need catharsis today. I need to weep today, or I need to rage today. Mm. I've heard a story about a woman who was like, there's all this fucked up shit happening with women right now. And I need a space to process it. And she asked her partner, she's like, can you hold a container for me and just let me rage? And they're like, yep. And I feel like the kink space like does a great job when it comes to trying to process stuff mm -hmm. um, and trying to heal. I mean, like rope is great for when it comes to reconnecting with your body and getting back in touch with your body. And I think it's a very therapeutic setting but unfortunately, it's still really fucking taboo. <laughs> I know. I talk about this all the time with my friends and even on the podcast. My partner, he has given me permission to say this whenever I want, but he's really kinky. He loves the ropes and poor guy. So we took the BDSM test and mine is just like 100% vanilla. Like I do not, <laughs> I do not like express. Is he, a rope buddy? <laughs> he is and he's a rigger as they say. Yes, yes. Um, he loves it both. But also, he's feels a little bit better because my second one, like at 86% or whatever, is like experimental. So like, I'm down to try anything, but I'm just yes. not going to be into it. Yes. <laughs> but I totally yes. see that with him is that like, I mean, he grew up Mormon. So the sexual repression is like even worse. Oh, oh yeah. my. Yep. Oh, God. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, of course, you're a little kinky yeah. bitch. Of course. I get it. And yep. I mean, I thank God the blindfolds exist because I just put the blindfold on him and I'm just like sitting there all bored, like pretending like I'm into <laughs> Yeah, I've found like there's, I myself have found a lot of healing in that space. Um, and I mean, again, it has to be like a safe consensual space right. and everything, but um, I think that that is a space that does a good job of giving us the opportunity to process through these big, scary emotions. Um, and I think a huge part of it is the fact that, like, communication is huge mm -hmm. um, when it comes to setting up a container. But, yeah, that's funny. I was I was debating whether I was going to bring that up, but I'm really glad that, like... <laughs> right podcast, right person. No, I, I totally could. agree, because even sometimes people get so caught up in the sex part of it, right? And that's obviously a huge part of it. But it's also sure. the being able to, like, be vulnerable and be a primal person and feel the feelings that you're feeling and then just go with it into yeah. whatever you're going to end up into, right? See, I feel like there needs to be something that combines like Brene Brown's work on vulnerability and how can you apply that to a kink setting? I don't know if that's already out there, but I feel like, I just feel like that would be a magic combination. Yeah, no shame. No shame in this shame. sex space. Your shame shields are up right now. Yeah, I know. <laughs> can you imagine? <gasps> I'm so sorry, Brene Brown, but you would be a great dominatrix. I'm just like, you'd oh be so kind. Well, maybe not a great one, but like a specific one. <laughs> you want to, if you want to. Yeah. I... Oh my gosh, I can't even. It's crazy because these conversations cannot happen in the church, right? But there's so many times where I see people, I'm like, if you could just, you, I see it in you. You are just so repressed, whether it's emotionally or sexually. Uh -huh. If you could just 
let yourself fucking go Mm -hmm. your life would Mm -hmm. be so much better yeah and I feel like my like I'm so thankful for my partner like the fact that he's given me like he doesn't I'm just really thankful I didn't marry a Christian dude. Let's just put it that way. (laughs) I'm so thankful that because he's given me the opportunity to be able to um, explore who I am Mm -hmm. um, as a human, um, as opposed to who I was told to be. Um, And that includes like how I process emotions, because how I process emotions would be different from how I am. I was told what I told was appropriate was told was appropriate to process emotions. Yeah. So yeah, just having that that person, like that safe person, and be like, yeah, you go, you go right ahead, do your thing. He's he's great. I'm not saying I've gone on any like sex capades or anything. So not yet. I say that to myself. Well, this is interesting because yes. this is like the only big emotions that the churches were allowed to have, right? It's like this in love, raw passion, da da da, which ends up when you go down the line, you realize, oh, this is toxic and not real. Like yep. this big emotion that we were all taught to wait until we're married, to find the love of your life, to only court or whatever, whatever. Like we're taught that this is the epitome of all feeling. And then in this love, you're gonna find this grand love of God. And then you get there, you get married. If you wait, you wait. And then you realize this is all a fucking lie. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. if you keep going there, it's toxic and it is yeah. ripe with abuse. And I think that's like, <laughs> I think there's a lot of folks who have walked through deconstruction who have ended up consensually non-monogamous in some mm. way or another. Like, I know I, I can probably say like most of, I, I know a lot of people who are consensually non-monogamous whether that be they swing or they are poly like full bore polyamorous or anarchic polyamorous. Like, I feel like we are not only trying to make up for lost time, but I think a lot of us are just like, well, I need to figure this out for myself. Mm -hmm. So, and I mean, God bless the fact that a lot of us can have that space because yeah, there's also so many of us have to get divorced because our partners cannot fathom not being in the church or allowing their partner to explore a side of their life that they were not allowed to explore beforehand Yeah, because of insecurities or whatever. Yeah. I I would say like the way that I have experienced, like, especially love within the context of marriage, like being outside of a church setting has been very different from what, um, like in a positive way has been very different from how um, what I was taught it was going to be like within mm-hmm. a church setting. And again, I'm, I am so grateful that I did not marry a Christian man mm-hmm. um, because I don't think that I would have had the opportunity um, or to be able to like explore this piece of me and continue taking steps towards like what we talked about that liberation piece so yeah moral of the story we should all go to burning man feel our feelings and get into some kinks i feel like that's a really good summary of social crisis important we need to talk about it and feel it go to burning man get kinky and what was the other one uh get naked i don't know (laughs) 
I mean, I'm here for that too. <laughs> I wish I was. I just really love clothes. I'm like, yeah. oh, I'm the worst progressive person because I'm 100% vanilla. I don't like being naked. Even like when I was married, I was like trying to sit on the couch naked and I was like, Mm-mm, I don't want my butt on my couch. And I like the way I look in clothes. Listen, Josie, okay, progressive is, is I don't want to say it's a spectrum, but it's like, it's a cosmos, yeah. and you're in that cosmos. It's and- accepting of who I am, which is a vanilla yes. granny bitch. I'm a grandma. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, it brings your granny bitch. I married the grandpa friend of our friend group, so. I'm like all, even like with drugs, Like I'm like, yeah, you guys do whatever you want. Maybe not like meth or heroin, but like all the natural stuff. But I'm like, oh, yeah. but I don't want to do mushrooms because that's, you know, maybe not yet. I, I'm, such, I'm all pro everything and I'm like, but maybe I'm kind of scared. Just be careful. Like, that's the big thing. Just be careful and also make sure that you check where your mental health is at beforehand yeah, exactly. because they bring stuff up but they bring stuff up to heal you it just depends on if you want to experience ego death or not so <laughs> yeah i love my ego i mean i'm pretty i like to die i like to kill it myself so maybe i'll be into it <laughs> Jesse, i think you're killing it you're absolutely killing it yes thank you um thank you so much do you have anything you would like to plug i mean this is not going to come out on giving tuesday but do you have a favorite charity or something that you want to plug or a project mm-hmm. I don't know. oh yeah yeah yeah. okay um my favorite drag queen patagonia um oh my god i love just that a fucking gem look her up on instagram and for giving tuesday she's like doing this whole thing where there's like 10 organizations um, where they are supporting like the diversification of access to the outdoors for BIPOC and for queer folks yes. and making it safer for BIPOC and queer folks to get out there because everybody needs to be out there and mother nature is good. So, <laughs> Amen. Um, so yeah, I think that's like, just send people, send people that direction. It's not going to come out on giving Tuesday, but go support, go support Patty Donia. She's the first one that popped up. <laughs> <laughs> yes i love that because my partner again is an eagle scout and um he tries to take me camping and i'm like mm, listen white man i listen a lot of dateline okay you're not getting me with the murder in the forest okay I got, i'm on to you to my favorite murder at all um i love my favorite murder okay okay, okay. stay sexy and don't get murdered <laughs> exactly i'm staying sexy that. and not backpacking with my white ass partner because i don't know we could break at any moment i know i'm a bitch I know I'm pushing him towards the edge. <laughs> You're like, you have no idea what's going to make, like, I have no idea what's going to make me snap. And I don't want to find that we're out in the woods. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I'm good. So anyways, um, but let's make it safer so that I cannot fear my partner. <laughs> okay. Yeah, let's make it safe. I like the safety piece. All right, so, friends. That was a fun conversation. <laughs> yeah. Um, friends, if you want to find more about Speaking in Church, you can find us on Instagram at Speaking in Church. We have merch if you want to buy our merch. It's kind of funny, kind of unholy, just like me. Um, if you want to give me money to support the podcast, there's a link also in the bio. Um, my Instagram is Josie Takes the World. I'm talking a lot about grief, so relevant, um, but also kind of sad. So, you know, do with that what you want. Um, other than that, as always, friends, stay woke or get woke, please. God. Goodbye. Yeah.
This has been an Irreverent Media Podcast.